You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. Talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and this episode is hosted by Ryan. We're pleased to present to you comedian Gina Yashere. Gina Yashere recently released her memoir, Cack Handed, which chronicles the story of growing up as a child of Nigerian immigrants in working class London to become the first female engineer with the UK branch of Otis, the largest elevator company in the world. Her time at Otis was a baptism by fire dealing with racist and sexist coworkers. So she left to become a stand-up comic and became one of the top comedians in the UK. Gina then came to the US as a finalist on NBC's Last Comic Standing in 2007 and never left. A few years ago, Chuck Lorre found her stand-up online and reached out to her to co-create, produce, write, and act in the CBS comedy series Bob Hart's Abishola. The show captures the heart of the Nigerian immigrant experience, and many of the stories are pulled from Gina's personal life. We're pleased to present to you this one-on-one episode featuring comedian Gina Yashere on this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And you know, right now, more than ever, we can use a lot of laughter and just being real and truthful with each other. And that's what I love about comedy. And you know, that's what I also love about the guests I have with me today. Also, I think she might have the secret to where the real Wakanda is. So I cannot wait to talk to her. I know this because I read her memoir, Cat Candid, which you need to go make sure you get after you listen to this episode. I'm talking about comedian Gina Yashere. How you doing, Gina? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing so well. I'm so excited to you talk to you. Um, the memoir was just fantastic. I love it. You, I'm just I can't believe how real you were in it. But um, oh. before before we um get to that though, I got to talk to you about um Bob Hart's um Abishola. Yeah. I'm gonna say I almost stumbled over that name. I got to make sure I get it right because they're going into third season, y'all. And this show is so funny, um, so cool. The different cultures you bring into it. Why was it important and what did you feel getting um, asked by uh, Chuck Lorre to go into this project with him? Well, uh, originally I was suspicious. I'm not going to lie. Uh, when I got the call, <laughs> I, and I was suspicious because, you know, I've been for a long time. I've been trying to pitch. I was trying to pitch shows to various networks, uh, you know, where, which talks about my family, my background and my Nigerian upbringing and stuff. And uh, nobody was into it. Nobody was interested. They were like, we don't know what to do with this. We don't, we're not sure. This is what I basically I had doors closed in my face all over the place. And uh and I've had ideas of mine taken in the past. And I've, you know, I've had meetings with uh, networks, not just in America, but in England as well, mm-hmm. uh, where I've pitched ideas and they've said no. And then a year later, I've seen very, very similar ideas to mine been done with someone else. 
So when I got a call to come and meet Chuck Lorre, he had this idea for this show, I was suspicious. I was living in New York at the time. I, they flew me over to LA for the meeting. And, uh, and originally they wanted me as a kind of a consultant. So Chuck had had this idea for Billy Gardell, who he loves, who he worked with on Mike and Molly. And he was like, I want to make another show, but I want the female protagonist this time to be of African descent, you know, because I just came back from a trip and I went all around Africa and I met wonderful people. And I and in the current climate that we were they were living, we were living in at the time. It was the Trump era. Uh, he was like, I want to do something that counteracts that. And I'd like you to kind of be a consultant because we're three white guys. It was him and two other exec producers. He's like, I don't really, we don't know, know anything about African culture. So we found you and we'd like you to help us. And I was suspicious. I, I At first I was tempted. I turned it down. I called my agent after the meeting. I was like, I don't know about this. It sounds right. weird. It sounds like it might be exploitative. <laughs> I don't yeah, want right. my name added to anything that's, that's odd. Like, you know, so I said, no. But then luckily... Uh, I've got, you know, people around me who call me and tell me when they think I'm being an absolute idiot. And uh, my and that's my brother in London and my best friend, Lila, in London. So they called me up and screamed at me for two hours. And they were like, look, you've been complaining about the lack of opportunities for black women in this industry, for, for yourself, how hard you've been working and you never get, you know, this is an opportunity to actually make something and make some change and you're turning it down. And what are you? So I was like, you know what? You're right. So... I, I decided to give them a chance. And once I got in a room with them and we started creating the show, you know, I felt, I was like, okay, these guys may, may be for real. Let me throw everything at it. So I started helping them create the characters and telling them what they shouldn't, the mistakes that a lot of white showrunners and writers make when they're writing for black people, but don't have any black people in the room. So I started like saying things like, right, we don't do this. We don't do this. We would never say this. And if we're going to do this show, you have to listen to me. If I say that this isn't correct, you have to believe me. And yeah, and so we stayed, you know, it went from a meeting on uh, Monday to like, me staying there nearly three weeks and, and, and creating the pilot with them. And they upped me from consultant to co-creator and producer and writer on the show. And obviously I ended up writing myself in as the best friend because who, who doesn't want to collect all the checks that are available to Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right on point. But, you know, I'm so glad you bring up all these, these pointers about, especially like in the sitcom world now, um, just the fact that, okay, there's always that, okay, well, we need a diversity inclusion. And, we need, and then you have people behind the scenes that don't actually want to do the research and the work. They don't want to actually go out and find somebody and say, hey, let me consult this person on, you know, African culture, what black people say, what they would do here, what they would do that. They're just like, no, 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 we're just going to we're going to pretend we, we kind of have that diversity and inclusion in this. Well, so I think the, it was so yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. That's the epitome of white privilege there. They think they know us because they've seen depiction of us, but they base their depictions of us on stuff that they've seen before, which has been made by other white people. So it right. keeps perpetuating the same tropes and stereotypes and, and it just goes on and on in the side and that's why we need black people and ev at every level not just at the you know behind the cameras behind the scenes exec producing writing we need black people at every level so you know when I came on board I made sure that you know I was like look we I can't be the only black person in the room we need other people so I what I what I did was I got the guys to come to shows that I was doing, you know, and then putting all my my black uh, comedian friends on the shows that I was doing. And when they, whenever they said, "Oh, we like that person," they were really funny. I'd go, "Oh, well, she writes." <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd set, set up a meeting, and that's how I got, uh, you know, my my friend Gloria Bigelow 
as a writer into the room. So that's, you know, I've been trying to do my bit to diversify from the, these writers' rooms, et cetera, from the inside. And that's what we should all be doing. And it shouldn't just be down to us. It should be everybody who's creating shows should make a point of having diverse voices in the room. And that's where these mistakes can be avoided. Right, exactly. Like, cause you could tell just going back to the pilot of season one, there were some things where it was like, if this was not diversity behind the camera up into the highest levels of people pitting, uh, deciding who's going to be on these shows, things could go left. Like there's going to be a bad reaction because there's not an understanding of that culture, you know, of the background. So yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to go into season three. Like, what can you, can you tease anything for us? Like what to expect or any guest stars or anything? Oh, yeah. So we've got some really, really good stories coming up in season three. Like we're going to be, you know, pushing the boundaries a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, you think that, that that's not going to be happening on a show on CBS, which is not being known <laughs> for diversity or pushing the boundaries on it uh, on anything. But, um, you know, they've really given us the opportunity to, be able to tell the stories we want to tell. And I'm trying to tell as many, you know, for, for, for one, Bob and Abishola are going to get married. And I made a point of making sure that we try to keep this Nigerian wedding as authentic as possible so you know they're getting married in nigeria so we went to nigeria we spent a lot of money we went to nigeria got the materials got nigerians to make the proper gilets and the outfits you know everything was you know we made sure it was truly authentic and i'm really kind of i'm kind of proud of how it turned out and I, I yeah, like, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's so different. And like I said, in the sitcom world, and I, I can't wait. Yeah, like you guys definitely get ready to check out season three. Um, I know it's on Paramount Plus. If you guys want to check out the first two seasons, probably streaming on a lot of different platforms. So yeah, you guys definitely go check it out and get ready for that season three. Yeah, because I know black people don't really watch uh, CBS because they think there's nothing there for us. But I think changes are happening. You know, mm -hmm. we're not, you know, because we're a sitcom and we're a multicam, we're not considered cool and you know as as the shows like insecure and and those shows which are fantastic single camera and they're seen as more you know on you know on the money with the trendiness and the coolness and and that you know on that zeitgeist of black women but i feel like our show should definitely be considered in those circles you know people hear chuck lorry they hear cbs they just think it's going to be a certain show for a certain audience but you'll be surprised when you watch the show that there's uh yeah there's a lot more to it yeah, yeah, you got just Bob and Ab and uh, Abishola's character is just so different. So you guys definitely give it a chance and check it out. Just just check it out, and um, mm -hmm. and you'll be surprised because you don't know. Yeah, just you, sometimes you can't just go by the name. You know, like you said, there's yeah. a, definitely a change going on in Hollywood where they're mixing up some things. Yeah, for sure. So it's good. Speaking of change, true and telling stories, we got to talk about Cat Candy, which I didn't even know what that meant until I got into this book and and did some research. Um, did you, I guess I'm going to kind of, uh, go with just kind of explain to us why you picked that title. And then also why was it the time to tell this story? Why were you ready to tell your story? It's so funny. Cause I wasn't really ready to tell my story. How it came about was on Instagram. Uh, there's the hashtag throwback Thursdays and flashback Fridays where you post an old picture. And, um, and that's how the book came about because I, I'd post an old picture and then tell the story behind the picture. And people were like, you know, I was get lots of likes and comments and people saying, oh, my gosh, the, your story is so interesting. I didn't know this about you. You need to write a book. You need to write a book. And so that was a lot of common comments that used to be under the pictures that I posted in the stories. So I was like, oh, well, I ain't got the 
attention span to write a book, but I'll, you know, I'll keep these things in a folder just in case it ever happens. So I started saving those posts in a folder. And this is how the universe works. At the same time, uh, Michelle Buteau, very hilarious comedian and actor, she's blowing up right now. Uh, she wrote a book and uh, her agent, her lit, lit agent was like, you know what, I, I really like Jeannie Ashray. Can you set up a meeting between us? So she sends me an email, I go, bitch, uh, my lit, literally lit, lit agent wants to meet you. You better go meet him. So I was like, all right, cool. I met him and he's like, yeah, we really like your stuff. Uh, I really like your stuff. I think you've got a book in you. So I was like, all right. Let's do it. And at the same time, Tracy Sherrod, a black woman editor at um, HarperCollins and Amistad Books, also reached out to me saying, are you thinking of writing a book? Because we'd love to have a look at it. And the universe has brought everything together at the same time. And I actually got this book deal before I got Bob Hart's Habishola. And so it all came around the same time. And I didn't know if I was going to have time to write this book but the COVID hit and I basically wrote this book while in quarantine. Um, but while the, while the book is called Cat Handed, because Cat Handed in England is an old uh, word for left-handed, which I am. It means left-handed, but it also means awkward and clumsy because left-handed people have been, you know, we've been, we have this stereotype of being awkward and clumsy. I don't think we're clumsy. I just think the entire world works in, in opposite to us. So we seem awkward and clumsy because when we're at a bar and I'm talking and I'm, I'm, you know, gesticulating with my left hand, I will knock over your drink if you're next to me and you put your drink on your right hand. I'm not, you know, I'm not clumsy. It's just that you're right-handed and the whole world is right-handed. So everybody puts their stuff on the right-hand side. I'm going to knock your drink over. So this is where that, uh, so the book kind of, the title kind of means left-handed, awkward, and also the fact that my career has taken lots of twists and turns. It's never been a straight route. It's never, you know, I've never, you know, I've always had to jump over hurdles, climb under hurdles, dig around. Around, you know, and that's why I called the book that because it kind of encapsulates the journey, really. Yeah, and I just I love how too when you talk about your journey, um, like you just said, you point out the differences, and people needing to understand, you know, just because it's not your way doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, yeah. ups, uh, accept, uh, accepting what is, you know, the differences about people, the little nuances that we kind of just, you know, laugh at or think, oh, well, that person's weird, you know, instead of kind of <laughs> giving them a chance. So, um, you know, and, and along those lines, I'm curious um, and just speaking of like sometimes just being a black female and being in those like awkward situations and sometimes a little different for you going from like Otis to being like the first female, um, you know, lift engineer they had in like 100 years and then realizing you wanted to go into comedy. I know I'm skipping a lot of parts in this because you really deep dive into how you made that, 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 um, you know, that transition. But can yeah, you give us yeah. a little bit about like where your mindset was where you're like, OK, I need to go into comedy now. I need to change this up. It's so funny. I never considered comedy as a career. I, my family, you know, I'm from an academic family. And Nigerians, when you travel to another country to have your children and, and you, 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 you struggle to, to make a good life for your kids, you ain't got time to be like, parents are not like, oh, arti- you want to be an artist? You want to be an actor? No, no, no. You can act like a doctor when you become a doctor. So right. that was the attitude that I was brought up in. I was supposed to so we were supposed to be doctors, engineers, accountants. My parent, my mom was concentrating on all these jobs that provide good pay, pension, you know, opportunities. So, you know, I was supposed to be a doctor. I discovered I couldn't stand the sight of blood. So I switched to engineering and became an engineer. And I would have been a successful engineer. I was a, I was a very good engineer. I picked an industry, you know, where women were few and far between and uh, also black women. And, you know, I was 
quite qualified as an engineer. I came into, you know, as you said, I worked for Otis, which is the biggest elevator company in the world. And I worked for Otis in England and I was their first woman engineer that they'd ever had in the, in the British history of the company, 100 years. And I came in as a woman and a black woman and higher qualified than a lot of the men that I was working with. So there was a lot of resentment that I'd, I'd come in on the same pay grade, even though I was younger than, you know, I came in to that industry at like 1920 or something, and they were all grown men, 35 and up. And I'm on the same pay grade as them. So they hated me for that. And there was racism. I worked on, you know, construction sites. We were building elevators. So imagine being the only woman and a black woman on a construction site. I went through hell. You know, I'd come into work in the morning and there were bananas stuck above my overalls and, and pictures of monkeys on the wall and things like that. But I stuck it out because it was a good job. And I was like, I'm not going to make these people drive me out. But eventually I left the job and it was then I fell into comedy. I never saw comedy as a, as a career. I just fell into it. I, I left engineering. I left Otis and I was like, I'm going to get another job. But in the meantime, I'm going to have some fun and just do stuff that I've always wanted to do that I never got a chance to do because, you know, I'd been, my mum had sworn me off that stuff. And as a kid, people always told me I was funny and I should be in perform. I should be a performer of some kind. And so that's how I fell into it. I kind of, you know, I was uh, I was in the Nation of Islam for a very short period of time. That's another chapter in the book. And then I went on to do sort of work in the community. You know, I was doing work in the community, raising money for, you know, for, for youth centres and for things like that. And uh, we were doing a, a, a performance one night and they're like, we need poets and singers and dancers. And me and a couple of friends of mine wrote what I wrote, what I thought was a play to perform for this this evening. Uh, a play about my Nigerian culture and the audience laughed so hard at this play. That's how I discovered, oh, I do comedy. And then I started following and that's how I ended up doing open mics and ended up doing stand up. It was not a conscious thing. It's just the universe again was like, oh no, this is what you're meant to be doing. And that's how I ended up. I know I'm a person that if I like something, I throw everything at it. I throw my all into it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, I go, okay, well, that didn't work out. And then I'll move on to the next thing. So I threw everything into the comedy and it just caught on. And I just ended up never going back to engineering. Yeah, well, listen, I'm glad you did because I'm like, I love watching your stand up, by the way. I just want to put that out there where you're always given the comparison of UK versus, versus US. Mm. um and the you know the black culture because you don't think about it like growing up um my, I for myself growing up in America you don't think about the similarities and the huge differences of um you know have you're dealing with immigration plus just being in the 80s in back in England mm. um and you know what it means for black people um and also too in the book I love how um for uh Benin you kind of go about your, going to your background why was it important for you to really dig into your background and your culture and bring some of that stuff in the book that people don't know like as I mentioned earlier calling it like the real you know real Wakanda like things that people didn't know about you know maybe their background and they didn't think to discover it to look into well that's the thing black people uh, all over the world have had very similar experiences you know there's been a lot of divide and conquer you know like the discussion recently of you know uh, African-American actors, you know, not liking the fact that British, African-British actors are coming over and taking work and from them. And, and you know, there's always been a seeds of discord right. between Black people all from different parts of the diaspora. Like, 
you know, African-Americans versus Haitians, Haitians versus Caribbean black people, Caribbean versus African people. And so I made a point of, of saying, look, we all came from the same place and we've all had very similar experiences with white supremacy. You know, my, my family are from Africa, from Nigeria, yes, from Benin, Nigeria. And we were, you know, British people came and colonized Africa. And yes, some black people were taken from off the shores of Africa and spread out all over the world. And some were colonized within Africa and some were taken to Europe. So when you, when you have these, the, these sort of discord between African-Americans and Caribbeans per se, they've had very similar experiences. Brit British and European slavers took their black people to the island in the Caribbean. That's why you got black people from Trinidad and Jamaica and Barbados. So we've had very similar experiences of slavery and subjugation, but because black people have not necessarily, only recently in the last sort of 20, 30 years, started to really research and discover that we are from the same place and we've had these similar experiences. But a lot of the hatred and stuff has been has been sown in our brains by white people, by white supremacy to keep us separate. So I made a point of writing that chapter in the book about where I come from and the culture and how we ended up where we are. So a lot of people don't know that stuff. And it was just, a, you know, it was important for me to get it out there. And also, too, that point, too, like you said, the mindset. Um, and, you know, I don't have any kids, but I remember my parents um, um, just kind of like being able to identify with some of the stuff you you put in the book of, you know, that that tight grip, so to speak, where, you know, you're very careful of, of what your kids are allowed to do, you mm. know, what kind of company they keep, you know, being very afraid of, you know, the outside world, because it's not, you know, it, it wasn't open to us. I mean, to now, I mean, it's starting to now, but there's still some things, you know, where you have to be careful of what situations you're put in as a black person, as a black female, um, just being black, period, people of color. And so um, listening to you tell some of these stories about how hard your mom was working, you know, with you and your siblings and some of the lessons you had to learn, just like the one that really stuck out to me, I thought was interesting is when you were, you had had it, like you were fed up, you were, you were young, you were little, you had it with not being able to go to some of these parties and, um, you know, not being able to venture out. Um, and mm. I forget, I forget the exact instance it was, but she pointed out all the stuff she bought for you and you were trying to leave the house. And she has you like stripped down basically as oh, you're yeah. leaving. And you're like, then you're like, okay, well, you know, let me rethink this. Let me come back. But it was just such an interesting to kind of hear you tell that story and play out. And, and I was just curious whether any lessons that you kind of go back and you're like, well, when you were writing, you're like, I didn't want to share that or, or something now that you understand that you didn't understand, like, you know, before. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time resenting my mother because she was so overprotective of me and never went, let us go anywhere. And, uh, and you know, looking back when I was writing the story and, and I'm writing about her experiences of when she came to England and, and then coming to England at a time when England was super racist, where they used to put signs on their doors like no dogs, no blacks, no Irish, you know, mm, and what yeah. she went through. And when she was bringing us up in England in the 70s and 80s and we're walking down the street and being spat on by skinheads and chased and, and things like that. So I can understand now looking back when I was writing the story and writing my mom's experiences and my experiences, then I was like, oh, this is why she was so overprotective. She was probably terrified the entire time. And right. that terror comes out in different ways, you know. But, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, the experience of black. You know, we all have jokes about how hard our parents beat us as kids, and mm -hmm. a lot of that beating wasn't just the cruelty of our parents; it's their terror of us 
going out and, and being, you know, killed for looking at the wrong white person the wrong way or whatever. And their terror, the only way to, to control us and protect us was to beat into us what they, you know, what they needed us to do out in the world. And so when writing the book, I kind of, I, I could see now, you know, looking back what my mother was going through and how she was feeling. And that's why she she acted a certain way. I'm not saying it was right, but I can see why she did it, you know? And so, yeah. you know, some of these stories, you know, it was cathartic writing the book because, you know, a lot of the feelings of resentment lifted when I was writing the book because I was like, oh, now I see where she was coming from and I, I understand it now. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of felt very, um, that's my next question I was going to ask you. Like, it seemed like it was very therapeutic to kind of get some of these stories out and to kind of talk, like, even when you're talking about hair and just going through a perm and, oh my gosh, that brought me back. I'm natural right now. Thank you, Jesus. It brought me back <laughs> me to some stuff, like thinking about all of that stuff. And, and just like, I love how you throw in a lot of really cool, intricate little stories that you don't think about. And you're like, oh, hey, I went through that. When my, like, you talked about the salary. I thought that was so interesting when you got your first job. I thought, but just like, just little things that um, it seems like it's therapeutic to kind of get that out and kind of explain like, hey, well, that's why she did that. And that's what I'm learning now, you know, going through that and, and all that kind of stuff was, is, was really cool. Yeah. And the experiences we've had so many, you know, I was born in England, born and raised in England, other side of the ocean to you. But yet there are similar experiences that we've had, even mm. though we were born on other sides of the world. And that's what I was trying to get out in this book saying, look, we've had very that we've got more in common than, than, than we know, than we think we, we have, you know? And, and that's what I was trying to get out there. The accents might be different. Some of the experiences might be different, but you, you'd be surprised at how much is the same. Absolutely. And, you know, some people would say, like, you know, when they ask the question, well, what would you tell your younger self? I kind of feel like this was you in this book, talking like, you know, finally explaining everything out and feeling every and, um, you know, understanding what was going on, understand some of the lessons your mom was trying to teach you. Um, is there anything you would change or is there or I would ask, what is the, What was the most important lesson you feel now that you learned then? Oh, you know, I, I always, you know, I discovered later in life to not spend so much time trying to please other people and you know like there's a chapter I talk about uh when I first started doing comedy and a lot of the comedians the male comedians especially used to try and turn women comics against each other they had us turn you know so I learned early on that oh a lot of times when people are being awful to me it's because of their own insecurities that they mm, yeah. are they are threatened by me because of their own insecurities. So I just you know early twenties I was I, I had an epiphany. I was like, oh right. In that case, I'm going to carry on trying to be the absolute best person I am, and 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 forget these haters. Like whatever, keep keep hating. The more <laughs> yeah. you hate me, the better I know that I'm doing. And that was a uh, that I learned. You know, I learned that, learned that in my twenties, and I've stuck to that ever since so that was one big lesson that I learned early in my comedic career and uh it's it stood me in good stead for most of my career where you know I'm like yeah if you're hating on me that's I must be doing something right because you know this is your own insecurity that's that's manifesting towards me as hatred or jealousy or whatever or trying to undermine what I'm doing so that is one big lesson I've learned another lesson is not comparing myself to others then that took me a lot longer to learn a lot longer mm. like it's yeah I'm still learning few, that one <laughs> yeah it's only in the last few years that I've uh, 
started to really sort of put that plan into action. And I'll tell you what, <clears throat> the moment I started just going, you know what, let me just enjoy my journey and stop. You know, with the social media and Instagram, you're always looking at your peers and going, oh my gosh, they've got this and I haven't got that. And how are they getting that? And I haven't got that. I'm better than that person. Why are they getting that? The, the day that I stopped doing that and I was like, you know what, let me just enjoy my journey. Everybody's journey is different. Let me just enjoy the life I'm having because I'm actually having a pretty good life and I'm not enjoying it enough because I'm constantly comparing myself to other people. The day that I stopped doing that, it's like something clicked into place in the universe and then abundance just started flowing towards me. So even when I find myself falling back into those old habits and looking on Instagram again, oh, I had to, I have to stop myself and go, remember, enjoy the present, enjoy your own journey. Right. So that is another big lesson I've learned. Well, look, we also find out a couple of last questions I have for you here in the book that you enjoy traveling. And also you you had a lot of TV series that you mentioned that you um, watch from like American TV or just uh, some of the shows that you guys will get a little later. So my question is, do you have anywhere you still want to travel? And then like, are, did, were you able to binge watch a lot? Like while we were like kind of isolated and secluded during the pandemic, where you, did you pick up any new shows? Well, I, I travel a lot. I've always loved traveling because I was so you know, coddled as a kid and not allowed to do anything. As soon as I left home, I my first thing was, I want to see the world. So there's not many countries I haven't been to. I've toured Asia doing shows. I've done shows in Singapore, Hong Kong, Thailand, Malaysia, um, Borneo, Brunei. I've been Australia. I've been Portugal, like all over the Caribbean. I've been Nigeria, I've traveled pretty much a very large percentage of the world. I have not been to Brazil yet, so I really want to go to Brazil. Uh, um, but there aren't that. I've been to India. I, there are so many places I've been to. So there's not mu that much left for me to see. Um, because once you start traveling so much, you start to see all the similarities all over the world and go, wow, the world is, our world is actually really very tiny. We're mm -hmm. just a grain of sand in, in, on a beach in the universe. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, I've still got more places to see and, uh, but there's not a lot because I've been to so many places. Um, what was your second question? I forgot what the second question was. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious on what you're watching these days. I know you're working on the show and everything like that. Are you, are you oh. able to stream and kind of binge watch on that? It might be hard as a creator right now, getting back into everything. Oh yeah. I, I, we binge a lot of stuff. I love sitting down and just finding new shows like White Lotus, Insecure, obviously one of my favorite shows. I May Destroy You, Michaela, Michaela Coa, which is genius. Uh, loved White Lotus. Is it White Lotus? Yeah, that, that's... Uh, yeah, really I said we got to check, yeah, check it out, but yeah, I heard good things about it. Yeah, I've got to yeah, check, check it out. It's yeah, it's a really, really good show. Um, yeah, I'm just... I watch so much stuff. I, I like, I binge watch a lot. And I'm... Because <laughs> I'm, I'm working in TV shows, I'm also... And I love a documentary as well. Um, I'm about to start the Bitchin' the Rick James documentary, uh, I started watching that. It's excellent. You learn a lot. Yeah, I, I, so many things, so many things. I watch a lot of TV. I'm always trying to learn. And uh, I learn a lot by watching different shows and documentaries and learning how things are made and, yeah, and the behind the scenes stuff. Well, look, I've learned a lot from you. I've enjoyed talking with you. I hope they go out and check out Cat Candace so they can learn as well. Um, just about just accept, accepting all of the differences and, and, you know, all of us just find a common ground, even though we're all in this in this, uh, you know, this big world and it feels so separate. Just finding that commonality, I feel like is is needed these days. Absolutely. We're, you know, we're all we're all we're all the same. 
fundamentally. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> fundamentally. Yeah. I say yeah, fundamentally. fundamentally. Yeah. Because we yeah. are differences. We should embrace our similarities and also embrace our differences. Yes, exactly. So you heard it here. So embrace your differences, everybody. Don't worry about, you know, don't worry about if you're knocking the, the glass over at the bar. Okay. You just, <laughs> just a little different. It's a little different. <laughs> Thank you, Gina. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.